Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Douglas Piccinini from Savannah, Georgia. And you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, well, being creative often leads one to do mundane jobs. But what's the worst job you've ever had? Okay, here comes the show. And remember... Question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dane Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka the Hizza, hello, and a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from everything from Douglas from Georgia, USA's question. What's the worst job you've ever had? Dane, what's the worst job you've ever had? That is easy. My worst job was working as an agency executive at uh, the Trader Media Group, uh, working mm. on Auto Trader. Um, <laughs> Very specific. Absolutely specific. Uh, that's the first time I became aware of how anti Semitic English people were by working in their office. Plus, uh, the racism I wasn't too surprised by is where I probably heard for the umpteenth time someone say, you might be smart and I went to university, but I'm still your boss. Uh, uh, I overheard someone saying their job will never be in danger because they went on a stag deal with the commercial director. Uh, I watched two people have, I watched two people have uh, nervous breakdowns because of the workload. I spent most of my time doing a disciplinary. My uh, manager threw me under the bus only to reveal that I actually wasn't falling short of my target when his job was up for redundancy, uh, which he had kept to himself. Um, wow. So that definitely sounds like the worst job. Definitely. Uh, the uh, worst job with the worst people. So much so, but that, that being said, it was so bad. It's the reason why I am a comedian today. Because I was exactly. like, there is no way I could have done a job like that uh, long term. Worth it. And uh, mine was definitely being a double glazing salesman on the phone for a month. I nearly... Uh, wanted to stab myself in the face we we ask and answer all the questions the question is too big or too stupid to ask guys and if you like asking questions and hearing answers and more importantly if you like the show please rate and review on apple Podcasts or follow us on spotify where you'll never miss an episode or you can follow us by subscribing to our podcast on acast the world's largest podcast network oh yeah all the special people all the special questions and on today's show we have a writer, actor, and the only Filipino comedian working in the UK today. She won Best Comedy Show at the Greater Manchester Fringe and was a finalist in the Amusements Comedy Awards at the Edinburgh Fringe. She can be seen on Amazon Prime and BBC iPlayer for BBC World Service. She has written and presented her own channel for the documentary that revealed the truth behind the myths that surround Oriental women in Britain. She also has a degree in virology. So uh, a woman who I would very much endeavour to emulate. It is the very real and the very talented Rialina. Hello. You make Hello. me sound oh, hey. so good. I'm I'm impressed with myself. Did I really do all that? You did. Yep. You did in yep. such a short space of time, as well as being a mother and a wife at the same time as well. 
normal womanhood juggling all the balls without having any balls of your own, Rhea. And <laughs> we'll welcome you on Well, the you know, I have a husband, so I have at least two balls. Are they still intact? Are they still intact, Rhea, or not? Well, that's my prerogative, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly how it depends how she feels on the day. <laughs> Rhea, what's the worst job you've ever done? That's a very good question. Because I'll be honest, I hated all of them until I got to comedy. <laughs> like, none of them were quite right. Do you know what? It wasn't so much what which job did I hate the most as who hated me the most in the jobs that I did. <laughs> I think that's the true answer as to how I ended right. up in comedy is who hated... I think the worst... I was a civil servant for three years in a particular department. I don't even know if I can mention it. Well, it's, I think it's out there. I, I work for the Serious Fraud Office. Uh, do, doing IT forensics and I love forensics and I always have and I love computers you know who can live without them but I really really struggled with the hierarchy and it was exactly like Dane said people above you that left school at 16 and were your boss and you came in with a degree and they go I don't care what you can do with programming you will cut and paste because I told you so because that's what I'm comfortable <laughs> with you doing wow so that kind of thing. And that's the workplace in general is people that uh, didn't get any further than uh, post-16 that try and recreate that same paradigm of friendship that they had when they were in high school. And uh, yeah, the place of place of business, the service industry is not meritocratic. So how can we be surprised we're in a fucking recession? Uh, so because you've got a bunch of fucking idiots in charge and then everyone was like, it can't be that bad. And then we let this foolish nepotism spread to our government. And that's why we are where we are today. A bunch, a bunch of cut and paste motherfuckers, Rhea. I totally agree. I think that really anybody who wants the job should not have it Absolutely. in government. The moment someone says, I want to be prime minister, you go, and that's why you never will be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I find it very, very worrying to have a bunch of people that speak about, you know, having the political ideology that they want to be an independent republic and be free of like heavy taxation. But they're like, I want you to pay my salary as a taxpayer. Stinks a bit. I mean, I just think it's all over, isn't it, really? Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I just think I just think these these old ideas of, of politicians and, 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 and even just independent countries, right? Like, I just think... God, as if you're going to solve your issues with, with, with not being part of some great big union, arguably, of Europe. But, you know, it could just be international. That's too, I just don't think it's going to work, is it really? I mean, I, I've, I've said for a very long time that the multinational is the new corporation. And uh, anybody who still thinks that their borders are intact or they have a distinct place has probably never taken a walk down their high street lately. If you have a McDonald's or a Starbucks or an Apple in your country, then your country is no different to any other country. And you should learn to shut the fuck up. It's a strange one, isn't it? Because we're we're talking about respecting other people's cultures, you know, and not culturally appropriating. But at the same time, we're getting rid of borders and, and trying to intermingle and, and create new identities. So I don't know what I can wear anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good time to, uh, to, to, to have a question, Dane, before we just go into a place of death and hell. Absolutely. Um, I would... Howard, first of all, we tread on the line of tragedy as comics. That's what we do. <laughs> it's just the, the episode went in quick. Yeah, but, went you, in, you, in quick. but did you see how deftly, like, how deftly Rhea played along the line of the rise in, like, international tensions and then was able to cut through that tension by bringing it back to what can you wear, which is pretty much how most people even identify cultural appropriation. So that's just giving our listeners an insight into how good this episode is going to be. Rhea, thank you for, so much for being on the podcast as our very esteemed guest. We invite you to ask Pleasure. the first question. 
question, which we will discuss for 15 minutes or some change. Then Harold will ask a question and we'll do the same. And then lather, rinse, repeat, I'll ask the final question. And then we all go back to picking out what wardrobe will be the least offensive this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> sound like a plan? It sounds like a great plan. Absolutely. Well, as our esteemed uh, virology expert and comedian and artist, we invite you to ask the first question. Well, thank you. Uh, my first question, and I guess... Me being a scientist is, explains why I'm asking this question. My question is, why do people need religion? And, 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 and uh, give, give us a bit more context of your thought process about that, Ria. So I've been thinking, so as you know, we're in the middle of this pandemic and, and we're still divided. Even We came together for about a month as a UK nation and we clapped the NHS and we all stayed indoors and we followed the rules. But now we're, we've fallen back along similar bipartisan lines and we've got people that are following the science and we've got people who firmly believe that Hillary Clinton is a pedophile um, and that masks will kill you. And And as someone who looks for the evidence, as someone who's constantly reading and as someone who's going, okay, I know how much we don't know about this virus, so I understand why we're being cautious. I'm seeing people believing in these causes, in the anti-masking, the anti-vaxxing, you know, uh, all of uh, these conspiracy theories, yeah, the QAnon stuff. I'm seeing, and I, and I think it's akin to religion. I think that in the absolute, we are the most secular that we've ever been, well, in the last 2,000 years, which is the most secular society we've lived in. And people are believing and holding on to these things without further examination. They've kind of read one thing, one book and gone, that is my Bible. That's what I believe. And I will, I will fall on this sword. And it says that essentially, even without religion, religion, people find their own religion. And I'm wondering why there's that need in people to, to, to do that. Why can't we be comfortable with not knowing everything? Why can't we be comfortable with just being cautious right now? I mean, I definitely can give you a quick answer and then Dane will probably elaborate, <laughs> give, a, give a big elaboration, which is, is death, death. We are all fearful of dying, Ria. Most of us anyway, just just don't like the idea of dying. And, and, and I think religion was used as a way of kind of dealing with your own mortality. And uh, in the absence of, of kind of, you know, basically probably a lot of people doubting the existence of a heaven or an afterlife, or a God, you know, I think we are finding people just drawn to other things that offer a way of kind of, like you say, some kind of devout belief system that they can get behind, even if it's complete bollocks. Yeah, I get that. But right now, a lot of the things they're believing don't lead to death, do they? I mean, the, the the pedophile ring, Pizzagate, that doesn't lead to death. Bill Gates microchipping everybody, that doesn't lead to death. It's just a distraction, though. That's kind of what I mean. It's a distract. All of this is a distraction from the well, fact you're going to die. Well, that, with that being said, <laughs> that being said, a lot of people do actually believe, yeah, that they are going to die. But um, it's a really good question. I just want to check before I give an answer, Ria. Uh, scientifically speaking, what are you defining as religion? Oh, good question. Good question. I think that. I think it's the need to believe or the need to have faith in something. Mm-hmm. That's what I see it as being. Cool. Because because there's the need to be in a religion, which we've seen for thousands of years. And we know that, you know, Native Americans had their, you know, there's been spirituality all the way throughout human history. And it's usually been very connected to nature. And then it became a means of controlling the population. And I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way. I mean, there's a reason now that, that Judaism and, 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 and Islam don't eat pork because going there was a point where eating pork would kill you. Exactly. And so the leaders at the time said, don't eat the pigs. And they're quite cute. Yeah. And I think, and I, I think that's, the, I think that's exactly the point is for me is that it's uh, I think why religion still plays a part is that I think 
uh, as I said, we are quite secular. And I think what maybe has now uh, supplanted religion is identity politics. Uh, I feel like there's a quasi-religious aspect to identity politics in that people are able to rationalise their own existence, whether that is their own aspirations or lack of aspirations or lack of fulfilment uh, by attaching themselves to an ideology or an idea that seems to be a lot more prosperous, which they can you know, identify with. So where people may not be religious zealots in the West, for example, what you find that people are like sports fanatics and they're able to attach themselves to this idea that this team is progress uh, by proxy. I'm a part of this progress as well. My support provides me with the return on investment that this team will become prosperous and I can share in their victory. Um, so I'd say the first part of the answer to the question is a large part of why people need religion is a rationalization. I feel like it allows people to deal with a lot of aspects of life which in themselves uh, cause a certain level of duality or a kind of paradox in most human life. Like for example, as Howard was saying, people are very afraid of death, but you would think that if we are all aware of our own mentality, that would have a lot more of a bearing on how we live our lives. Like if you know you're gonna die at like 80 years old, would you spend 40 of those years at a desk in an office? I'd say most rational people would be like, no, that'd be a waste of fucking time. But then once they start uh, working, becoming a part of the workforce and conforming to being within the proletariat, then they stop thinking about it as much. And so religion or any other, uh, I guess, external idea of a higher power that someone can attach to allows for them to rationalize their situation. So for example, uh, I would consider white supremacy to be a religion in that it's a faith system that a group of people use to uh, identify with other people, makes them feel empowered, but most of all has no factual or scientific basis for its belief system. And so people believe in white supremacy because if you uh, are a cisgender heterosexual white man, the odds of you becoming a millionaire or a billionaire, like most people, is going to be nominal. That's just the way the world of capitalism works. Now, if you are aware that you may not be able to achieve that much in life and it may not be able to realize your financial aspirations or your uh, professional aspirations, then one of the ways you are able to rationalize this is to know that wherever you go in the world, you are going to be considered to be superior to that entire population. They're going to speak your language and your culture, despite the fact that you are a minority, even in that particular nation, will still be a dominant culture. And for some people, they can attach themselves to that idea because it means no matter who I am or how little I achieve, I can attach myself to an idea that I'm better than most people on the planet just by the merit of my birth, despite me not doing anything, which to me is nigh on, you know, religious fanaticism. Oh my gosh, I'm a religious fanatic because I totally believe that wherever I go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ria, do you you think, have you ever been religious about stuff particularly or have you got anything that you've ever kind of followed to a religious kind of level well i suppose the anyone in the other camp would listen to this and argue that science is my religion because i you know i suppose that that's what i cling to but i, I see that the, the two camps as i divided is i'm interested in evidence-based i'm interested in what i can feel what i can touch what i can tangibly see has been proven or not proven and everything else therefore is an unknown but you accept that as an unknown and you accept that how little you know. And I suppose Mm. the other side of it is I have faith in what I don't know. 
I have faith in everything that I don't know. And I'm there going, I don't need to have faith in it. I just accept that I don't know it. So I think that's, that's the two sides of it. No, I've never had religion in my life. My parents, my mother particularly is, is staunchly atheist. So I think that in pushing back against that, I didn't push back to become religious, but I pushed back to become a patheist, which uh, is little known as a belief system but um when i was looking for the word i was looking for what i was and i found it and it is called a patheism and so you have atheism which is the staunch belief that there is no god then you've got agnosticism which is you're not sure if there's a god and then you have yep. a patheism which is i don't give a crap if there's a god <laughs> it, honest, it doesn't make a difference to my life there could no. be a, if you want there to be a god and there is a god and i get judged after death fine, that's when that will happen. But I'm not going to change the way I'm living now. And I'm not going to change the way I make decisions now based on that. I'm going to base it on what I have in front of me. That doesn't mean that I'm like running around killing people because everyone has an inbuilt moral compass. Like, you know, do not kill, do not steal. That's all kind of inbuilt in most of us. Well, that's a good point as well, because again, like you said, there is an esoteric idea amongst us human beings as a social species, or we should understand, as well as mammals, that there is an interdependence between ourselves and uh you know other other human beings and other sentient beings as well so like you said intrinsically you know that i shouldn't cause harm or loss to another sentient being and i shouldn't yeah so i shouldn't take anything or kill anybody now again going back to the topic of religion like that is a esoteric truth that we all have but religion again people adhere to it because it allows them to uh negate these ideas because you could you can be like well you shouldn't kill another human being you shouldn't take from another human being but then if you have a institution or quasi-religious institution which tells you, but they don't act like humans, they don't believe in our God, then people can give themselves justification for that. An example being apartheid, which was justified A, by hermetic principle, which is a uh, religious idea that comes from uh, the book of Exodus, uh, and also the fact that uh, indigenous Africans within South Africa during apartheid were referred to as non-believers. So mm. in that particular instance, there was the politicization of religion in order to dehumanize the indigenous population and justify them being oppressed. So that's where religion comes in. So, patheism is the first time I've heard of it, and it actually, yeah, I, I like that idea, because it's like, you know, whether there's a God or... And, you know, it, and, and actually, Ria, I think it's a really valid point, because I always try to say to people, the issue with religion, and how it's administered, and how uh, people apply it to their lives, is that uh, people look at religion almost as if it's a uh, it's very rigid and that's probably where science has the issue with it because science is supposed to be dynamic you're supposed to be able to retest theories and change a hypothesis or how the hell a null hypothesis and that's what uh religion considering the topics that is discovered is discussing like you know the idea of omniscience and omnipotence they should be more than anybody else happy for science to investigate the uh, existence of a god because you should be comfortable that there's definitely going to be a god you shouldn't think or believe you should know and this is normally where the schism with science and uh religion appears but it's like well, it becomes impossible to to, to 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 delineate right because because and it's also that history isn't it really uh Rhea? because history um you know centuries and centuries ago their basis for science was just so limited that it was easy to say that you don't, there is a God and, you know, you, you can live this way. Whereas now we have such, you know, I would say advanced levels of, of scientific analysis that you just can't, you know, it's like, it's pretty obvious. Like if you, you know, you know, science is there in, in, in your face half the time. It's like, I broke my leg. Well, I didn't just go to my mate Dane to fix it, did I? I'm sure you could do a good job, Dane, but you know, it, you know. What, Howard, you didn't just believe it would fix itself? 
<laughs> what is it? Exactly, exactly that. You're not. Oh no, I've I've got a kidney problem. Can someone just kind of pray for me, please? Well, fuck off. Like that's yeah. ridiculous. But that, that is mental. But that, but that being said, though, Rio, like, is is there scientific study that proves, like, you know, if people use methods of uh, repetition or affirmations, can that have an effect on them physically? In terms of like, you know, is hypno, yeah, positive energy or is hypnosis well, of recognized? It's the placebo yeah. effect. Yeah. So, it, so if someone takes that and is able to repackage that as a religious phenomenon, is like it's the, it's been able to subvert science for you know the process of like you know dividing or controlling people. So I think religion still exists because prior to some of the existence of our more secular bipartisan political systems, it was one of the most effective uh, methods of population control and social engineering. I say that example for. Um, I read that uh, Charles Darwin himself was actually a member of the clergy before he espoused this theory of evolution. Wow. While I um, see evidence for evolution as scientific theory and lie on scientific facts, I think where it, the theory is flawed is when it takes on a religious narrative in that we speak about survival of the fittest and dominant species. Mm-hmm. Especially uh, one of the reasons being is... Uh, most of the time this is epitomized in a picture of us going from uh, primate to homo erectus to homo sapien uh, neanderthal by the end of that evolutionary chain you have a european looking white guy with a spear i've never seen a fucking white guy with a spear in any book of archaeology or anthropology so as you've seen there that's been racially politicized to show as if the first example of a homo sapien is a white man but by the definition of species, scientifically, that is about a organism which can mate with another organism and produce viable offspring. That means the only members of our species, Homo sapien, that could have been the first Homo sapien, would have to be a woman. Because as mammals and as a species, women are the ones with wombs that make children. So if women make children, it means why is there a man at the end of that evolutionary chain? It's because that scientific theory has been politicized and made quasi-religious for the sake of conquest in this case. Also the fact that like we talk about a dominant species, that would suggest that we as uh, human beings exist as a separate species from all other animals. But that's impossible again, because scientifically what you have is an ecosystem and a system of synergy where we have to interact with a uh, system of symbiosis with a number of other organisms, like for example, the bacteria living in our gut or the microbes that are on our skin. So there can never be a dominant species because without these uh, bacteria in our gut, we cannot survive. That kind of brings us back to the purpose of religion being to subdivide us amongst ourselves. As you were saying, there's still, we're still very tribal. We can't get away from the fact that it's built into our brains to be tribal. And as you said, the need to belong and the need to be able to go somewhere and, and, and to be part of something. I thought your sports metaphor was very apt to say that, you know, that that's why people follow certain sports. And that's why, in, particularly in this country, football is so popular. Um, it, that makes a lot of sense, especially if you're like, a Leicester City fan. It makes a little less sense if you follow <laughs> West Brom at the moment. Um, <laughs> uh, you're not so much reveling in their wins as their losses, but, you know, there's hope. There's always hope, and I suppose that's part of it. Uh, but <clears throat> I think that what you're talking about with the dominant species is quite interesting because we've broken away from our ecosystem. I think if there's one thing both r- truly religious people and truly scientific people can agree on, it's that we are not in harmony with our environment right now. We are very much not in harmony with our environment. And I think that if there was the one thing Howard asked me earlier, um, if there's one religious thing that I was probably a part of, I think the Gaia hypothesis is the one that 
that sort of swayed me the most as I was growing up is you that... You explain that for the, 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 the people at home who might not know. I think Gaia hypothesis is, is the idea that all life is connected on Earth, which sounds really wanky when you say it that way, but it's exactly as, as Dane described it, that we, can, we are not alone. We are not islands. We cannot survive without... I mean, the food chain alone, even if you're vegan, even if you were the best of the best in terms of not causing harm, you're still relying on plant life to keep you alive. Um, and, a, and, and a water like, cycle. And also the water cycle the because water you're 70% water and there's a water cycle that you depend on and you definitely depend on plant life because just literally to breathe. So, Yes. So I, I think that for me is the, is the most religious I've ever been is going, we are all connected and we need to not forget that. It's such a great question. And I, I kind of feel like we definitely could talk about that one all day. My, my, my final t- two pence worth is, is, is until the full... Um, explanation is given for what happens in our brains um like the until we fully understand our brains i think you can still have that question mark about you know us all being interconnected religion all of that still has one until everything's been explained by science ria uh, we're, we're always going to have uh, religion i think yeah no I, I agree i think this is it we're seeing it now we're seeing that People need to believe in something, and that's what we're even seeing now with the the reaction to the pandemic. We're also, we're also seeing people tweet on their actual phones, tweeting on their phones that uh, the Earth is flat. You're using a phone that requires a satellite to bounce transverse <laughs> waves off it to tell people the Earth is flat. You're fucking stupid. Re is nice. I'm not nice. I'm going to be a scientific zealot and be like, if you believe the earth is flat still, you're fucking stupid and you failed in school. (laughs) And this is why you need to attach yourself to these other ideas so that you can believe that you are a part of something, but you're a part of a bunch of fucking idiots. So Rhea, what I'm trying to say is, is that like, you know, scientifically evolution can be up to a million year process. Up to, I don't think there's a limit. Dang. Yeah, there's not a limit. It can take ages. The thing is, religion, however, is so archaic that people are still referencing events from 2000 years ago as a basis to live now. So that tells you how religion has been able to prevail so much. It was the Harry Potter of its day. The Bible was the Harry Potter of its day. Exactly. <laughs> and it as much as we can criticize the author, doesn't take away the amazingness of the book, right? Yeah, although, yeah, I mean, exactly. a, a question for another day is who still gets the royalties <laughs> from the publishing of the Bible? Because someone must do. Wow. I'm going to ask a very, uh, a, a very different question, but it will probably link up a little bit with what we've been discussing. Um, but that was an amazing question, Ria. Thank you for, for bringing that to this podcast. Um, we got some great answers. Um, but my question is, uh, <laughs> uh, is I was just going to give it a bit of context. I, was, you know, but I, suppose, I suppose it applies to everyone, really. But, you know, I, I went to university uh, and I did American studies, uh, it's not very useful, really, if I'm honest with you. Uh, it didn't really mean a lot to my life. I suppose it helped me a little bit of some stuff, but it's not proving very useful. But Ria, uh, mm-hmm. you studied virology, right? Yes. Uh, and has that come in useful at Because <laughs> I assume right now you might be quite popular. <laughs> um, so I'm, my question is going to be this, because we've kind of interesting that... Uh, that this podcast has kind of evolved over this pandemic, which me and Dane moved it up to every week. Um, it means that we can be a little bit more topical at times because we're put, putting it out pretty quickly. Um, and so, listen, let's talk COVID because we often don't on this podcast. When, Ria, I'm asking you, help me. When are we going to get to the end of this? Do you know what? That is actually the big question. And it's one that I'm asking as well. What is the end point? What are we aiming for? It seems pretty clear that this new coronavirus, SARS-2, is going to be with us. It's 
it's reached around the world. It's in the population. It's going to be very tricky to get rid of it. I mean, if you know, it took a couple hundred years to get rid of smallpox, and that was with the help of an effective vaccine. And also, uh, people not being able to vocalize their disdain for wearing masks or covering themselves up on social media <laughs> networks, or with their ability to express misinformation. So, well, well, precisely, there was governmental control back then, so uh, they were able to stamp it out by controlling the people. Whereas now, people have gone crazy. Uh, so, I don't. That is a good question. What is the endpoint? What are we aiming for? I don't think the scientists know. I don't think the governments know. I think the idea right now is they're aiming for a vaccine to come out and hopefully help control the severity, at least, of infections, because we don't even know how effective these vaccines will be. We don't know if they're going to last a year, if they're going to last five years. On average, uh, with a background in virology, how long does it normally take to synthesize an effective virus? Because, yeah, I... I, Vaccine. A vaccine or virus? Well, Whoa, both, both <laughs> questions, actually. When you say it that way, Ria, good question. How hard would it be for you to put... Because, you know, I mean, as well as the uh, hysteria and some of the craziness, uh, conspiracy has also begun, uh, become as, as prevalent as uh, the infections. And, uh, yeah, my question is, yeah, how long would it take on average? Because I spoke to a friend of mine who said that an effective vaccine for corona or for COVID wouldn't appear for, like, it would take an entire generation for that to work. And uh, But then at the same time, how hard is it to make a retrovirus or like a coronavirus? I can't, you want happy news as well. This really narrows down what I can say. <laughs> <laughs> no, no Howard we'll wants happy news. I want the real news. <laughs> the real news is... Give us the real news. It normally takes years. And it, it usually takes years to go through the process. Obviously, what we're seeing is people fast-tracking. And by people, I mean like the FDA in the US, um, PHE here, uh, just allowing things to happen faster than they normally would, allowing testing fa- us to go through testing phases faster than maybe we otherwise would. But that said. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. On the one hand, I think the fastest vaccine was made in four years. That was the fastest that we got from virus. And that was way back in the 60s. So that's incredible. That Think of the, what the science was back then. But on the other hand, we have yet to come up with a successful vaccine for HIV. So that's the that's the range of possibilities that we're looking at. However, and what people forget is that when SARS-1 
and MERS came out, which were two epidemics that happened in the last 20 years, people started working on vaccines towards coronaviruses. So we're not starting from brand new with the vaccine that we're working on now. We can build upon that previous technology. We can build upon that previous work that was done. Because what happened with this, like, for example, the SARS epidemic is it came out, people started working on it, and it disappeared again. And we haven't seen SARS-1 come up again since then. And so you can't test a vaccine if you don't actually have active infections in the population to test it against. And so that all got frozen in time. So when we say it took four years in the 60s to develop, I think it was was it the measles or the mumps vaccine. I'd have to fact check that. I can't remember which one, but it was very, very quick. It was four years in the 60s. So it's not unbelievable to, it's not unsurprising to believe that we can do it faster now because we have also the entire world working on it. Not just, you know, with, with SARS, it was a localized epidemic. I mean, it never it never became a pandemic. So there weren't that many labs that were working on it. Whereas right now, everybody in the world has a vested interest in coming up with a solution to the current pandemic. And well, so there's a massive competition going on, isn't there, between kind of a load of different <laughs> research facilities. So much of a biological arms race that uh, between the West and China. I, I want to actually throw something into this area because uh, I feel like, what may be different to the 60s and now is the role in which capitalism and global capitalism and consumerism plays in global society as opposed to as it did in the 60s. Uh, I say that because I feel like one of the uh, key issues in terms of uh, treatment of the pandemic in terms of whether it's finding immunity or just just protocol by government in terms of like citizens and their exposure to, to the virus is uh, we're dealing with two viruses. Because the other virus, or three viruses, arguably, because it's the virus, well, actually, no, one virus, the other virus being racism, and the issue being the religion of capitalism. Mm. I say this because, uh, obviously, referencing our previous question, is that I feel like a lot of the uh, action, a lot of the reactions to COVID, a lot of the policies that have come into place, in many ways, do not have a scientific basis and serve the needs of capitalism more than the needs of, you know, scientific research. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that's the thing. What we're seeing right now is science versus economic, scientists versus economists. Um, that That is the battle. And I think that we can't ignore, and again, I say this as, as a scientist who is a virologist, we can't ignore the effects that the economy are going to also have on the health and the well-being of the nation. Um, and, and people have been shouting about it. And I don't think that they're wrong, that we need to look at the effects of, of locking down on on people's mental health, on domestic situations. Uh, I I heard a story um, from someone who works in, in an ER about a kid who came in who was quite badly, badly uh, damaged by a parent and that parent had no signs at all ever before of ever having been abusive or anything to their children but they just snapped uh, and this was in July they just snapped after you know being at home for 5 months people losing their jobs people unable to pay rent like there is there are other considerations and so i appreciate that if you're in charge of everything yes you have to worry about this brand new virus that we really don't know everything about we yes i mean you say it's a respiratory virus but we're seeing effects on the liver the kidneys the brain um inflammation we're seeing people walking away with months and months of, of issues after infection. So they've cleared the infection, but they're they're suffering from fatigue. They're, they're people needing lung transplants, like all sorts of things that we just don't understand about this virus because we're not even a year into it. 
But what we do know, and I think this is what some people you say, the religion of capitalism, what we do know and what we can hold on to is that we do know it's having an effect on mental health. We do know it's having an effect on people being able to stay in their own homes because they can't afford the rent anymore, um, jobs. So it, it, it is a tricky balance. Uh, I agree with you that capitalism is a religion. And it's interesting that you refer to, to racism as a virus because it's an interesting uh, metaphor to bring forward. It, I'd have to think on that one a little bit and, um, and sit with but that. But can, can I ask one question just because, you, you know, it's not often I have someone who has some kind of uh, you know, academic expertise on the subject, even though we all have an opinion on it, right? Which is uh, one of the weirdest things about it all. Thanks, Twitter, is- for making all of our opinions matter. <laughs> Opinion- <laughs> opinions are like assholes, and Twitter is a sewer where everyone's assholes are filtered out. <laughs> it's so true. Um, uh, just like one but, little bit at a time but but kind of and, and this is this is kind of bringing into this is an awkward thing to bring up i'm aware of, i'm about to say is not you know not something i believe it's more a question about this subject is you know you're looking at the economics versus the science and is there an argument at one at some point where people are going to turn around or the majority are going to turn around and go well let's just let what happens happen and stop this trying to stop it, which is what obviously we've done, right? We've tried to stop it. We've tried to stop it affecting people. But do you think, Rhea, that people will just at some point go, ah, if it kills me, it kills me? It's funny. Uh, I have a friend on Facebook, of course. I have a friend who's also on Facebook, and and he is straight white, cis male, and he has started saying things like, why can't we just ring fence the vulnerable and let everyone else get on with our lives? Um, why can't, why can't we, you know, why do the rest of us have to suffer for the few? And so people are already thinking that way. They're already thinking two tiered thinking. Um, you know, we're talking about people not being allowed in shops if they can't prove they've been vaccinated forced, which is essentially forced vaccination on people in the future. We're talking about being able to prove if you have the antibodies so you can live freely, but those who haven't had it yet can't. And it's two tiered society. We're talking about creating that is very clearly creating levels of people. And we've been fighting against that for such a long time that we can't go back to that. We have to treat everyone as equal. It's a real, I'll tell you this, as an ethnic woman, I find it a real bum deal that even this virus is like, who are the safest? Um, it's it's the young white people. But then I would say then, Rhea, this is what, this is what I mean, is that like you, it's very hard for you to form or apply scientific theory in this instance when you have to take into account capitalism which ideologically fuels uh, or and, and wears which is a machine that uh, is a religious machine but the fuel for that machine is racism so it's very hard for you to have a discussion about like you know treatment of a virus when the supposition is the wealthy are going to have the instant access to this despite the fact that they may not be genetically predisposed or biologically predisposed to deal with the virus better than any of us because I've not had COVID and I've thought because I followed precautions and kept myself safe and clean. Whereas the prime minister fucking got COVID after he went and went and shaking people's hands in a fucking hospital. <laughs> so for me, it's like very clearly this is somebody who by biological theory or even by Darwinian theory is someone who is not effectively able to use fight or flight to escape a dangerous stimulus. But because of the position afforded to him by his race and by his wealth, he's allowed to survive. So again, that, for me, that defines scientific theory. If we are determining who is the most vulnerable, really based on, uh, you know, their uh, wealth rather than their health. 
And, and, and Rhea, just because we're going to have to move on to, the, to our final question of the episode, mm-hmm. um, give us some hope. Will you no, Howard. Some... No, no, Howard. No, Rhea. Don't listen to him. No, 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 no. No, Howard. Why? Why? That, that, but then that, again, that's the problem is that that is not scientific. Like you've asked a, we are, we are, this is the problem is that instead of we're asking scientific experts for their analysis or for diagnosis or prognosis and then they tell us and then we go, well, I don't like that. Tell me something I want to hear. No, you need to fucking hear it. Like this is dangerous. It has even, even if you, and like you said, even if you survive the contraction of it, there are still long-term effects that are going to help us. So, for example, like, so I'm saying it like this. It's fine that we turn around and clap the NHS and we are providing relief or subsidies for key workers. But then I would argue scientifically, if you are not providing a framework socially whereby your most gifted and most competent are able to be at their optimum level of productivity because they have somewhere to live and they can eat and have access to water and can provide for themselves, a doctor or a nurse that's had a good night's sleep, had a decent meal or a square meal, and has somewhere to live is going to be able to do their job a lot better than somebody that has to tread fucking water because of government policy. So it's all nice and well of us giving hope. I'm saying we can have hope if we need to. It's only it's been and like I said because we've been weaned on capitalism for so long, we are talking about a global pandemic and we're expecting these people to find the cure because we want to get back to work and blah 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 blah. For me, it's like first of all, if you got a problem with fucking lockdown, people need to take a look at other systems like the penal industrial complex which is a capitalist funded institution where we keep human beings incarcerated when they might not be necessarily healthy psychologically so if you've got a problem with being at home for five fucking months and turning on your kids well what do you think happens on Rikers Island every fucking day also I feel like if you have a problem where you're like oh well how are people supposed to go back to work and live and survive if you allow for capitalism to continue to cause rapacity to our fucking ecosystem and our environment, it doesn't fucking matter what happens with viruses because once you go back outside, in the next 20 years, we're going to cause irreparable damage to our environment. So it's fine if your lungs are fine from COVID, there's still not going to be oxygen to fucking breathe. So how I feel is if we want to be scientific and have hope, then I hope that people are able to suspend their need to buy new fucking things all the fucking time and sit down and shut the fuck up, let scientists do their fucking job, listen to what they fucking tell you, and then you can have some hope. This is the, the problem is, is that like, and I'm not saying, it's not yourself, Howard, but it's a really... No, of course, I'm not course. taking it personally. Yeah, of course, of course. It's right. But it's a very interesting point because you said, give us hope. But this is the thing, as, as Ria is saying, is that the issue is the task, the remit for scientists and virologists is for them to give us accurate scientific information. Hope, as we know it. As we know it, yeah, as we know yeah. it. Because but that's, and that's all under the pretense that it's dynamic. We're always continuing to test, continuing to learn a lot more. Hope is irrational and doesn't have a scientific basis. And while we do need it, and it can be effective, those two parties in this instance can't meet. You can't be told what you want to hear, you need to be told what you need to hear. Well, actually, I tell you what gives me hope is talking to Rhea, uh, partly, (laughs) (laughs) and hearing someone talk science, you know, and and with knowledge is, uh, is, is is a dying art. Um, you remember when they said we don't, we still, we're tired of listening to experts. I mean, we definitely, definitely shouldn't be. Uh, and uh, I, I found it very interesting to hear what you had to say, Ria. Thank you. Can I just say it was five years in mumps vaccine? That was the fastest one to date. It was a five years to the mumps vaccine. Cool. And you know, and the thing is, crazy things people be like, that's not that bad. Well, 200,000 people have died in America, and that's in one year. So times that by five, that's a million people. So, you know. This shit is a, it's not easy. It is a literally a precise science. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, one, one thing we can keep doing, which uh, gives me, is, is making a podcast. So that's, that's good. That, that while, while we can, while we can. Yeah, yeah. While the, before the internet crashes in some horrible way. Hey, um, something new comes but, along. 
Um, Dane, over to you for the final question of today's episode, which has been a very, very thoughtful episode. It's cool. I um, It's been very thoughtful and very uh, very helpful as well. Uh, Saria, the premise, the preface for this question is that you're dead. Okay. Right. Okay. Now, personally, I believe... Is there an as, afterlife well, in this hypothesis? Well, hey, well, this, that's basically down to you. Um, mm-hmm. The question is that most, when, most of us, when we pass on, especially those of us who have dependents in the form of our children and our partners, will leave their last will and testament um, where we can betroth all of our worldly possessions to those who have lost us. Um, however, I feel like some of these things pale in comparison to what people's greatest loss is when they lose a loved one. So... I say all that to say this. Rhea, regrettably, you have gone to a better place. What that place is uh, and how we describe it, that is down to you as a scientist to uh, describe on another day. Or you can do that during the question. But um, if you were to have a will, and your will is not just a will that's physical, but it's a metaphysical will, where you can mm-hmm. leave back, you can leave behind or betroth uh, character, character traits or behavioural traits, talents, skills um, to the people you love, you can leave everything in your will. You can even leave like your eyes, the sound of your laugh, like that thing you do that your husband likes. You can leave it all in your will <laughs> to different people. Oh, Dane, I've been married so long. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> exactly. So there you go. So you can even leave behind your your, se- your current sexual impotence to somebody if you choose. But uh, what is Rhea Lena's last will and testament, metaphysical last will and testament? All right. I, I know a few of them. So I have three kids. Mm-hmm. and a sister and she's a bit like a kid she's my little sister and she can't commit she is the most commitment phobic person i've ever met she can do long-term fuck buddies like she can she can stay with a guy for three four years but the moment he goes can i introduce you to my mother that's it she's out she's like no i don't need to meet your mother you've seen me naked i can't look your mother in the eye and uh, so i think that i would leave to my sister the ability to commit uh, because I think she deserves to have some. She actually just says to me, "One, which you know, you've had three kids. One of them has to look after me when I'm old." And, and that's, oh, that's yeah, she's just sweet. like, "Can I just have one?" <laughs> <laughs> and then, I, and I'm like, "That's not fair. You you work in banking. I have to pick which of my kids gets it good, and which of the other two have to look on and be bitter about it. That's not fair." Although um, if she never gets married, then they, all three of them can spread that that divide that inheritance too. Yeah. Well, in theory, but if she would feel obliged to give the one that looked after her a little bit more, right? Which yeah, it'd be your most generous child, I guess. Which one's the most generous? Well, oh, it's tricky. So mm, they're all they're, well, they're all teenagers right now. So let's say none of them. Yeah, that's true. You, you can tell. <laughs> so I would leave my sister the ability to commit because I've been with my husband through through thick or thin for for nineteen years now. Fucking oh. hell, that's a long. Sorry, pardon my language. That's a long. That's a long time. It, it? is Blimey. a long well time. Howard, what happened to what happened to you, Hopi Hopinson? She says two <laughs> decades, and you're like, I don't fucking long time. Aren't you married? <laughs> I was just really impressed. It was like, fucking hell, that's good, isn't it? Like, well done. Like, fucking you, you know. Yeah, I know. Good, good work. Good work, mate. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Neither of us are who we are when we met. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> I would definitely leave my daughter uh, all of my. I guess, woman knowledge. I have one daughter and two sons, and I want to leave her everything that I've learned about being a woman 
And I want to leave with her the memories of growing up and the times that I grew up so she can compare them to the time that she's living in. And gosh, if I could inherit this from my mother, I would. My mother's Filipino and she grew up in America. And I realized recently that she grew up, you know, before before the civil rights movement had had even, you know, I think I think my mother had to sit at the back of the bus because she's quite a dark Filipino and she's never spoken about it. And she but I think that she probably suffered in this in that system but she became a physicist and a computer programmer in we're talking 60s and 70s we're talking at a time where that was just unheard of for a woman let alone a woman of color so if i could inherit that from my mother and then pass it on to my daughter i would especially because my daughter is blonde like my mom's filipino i'm clearly an asian woman and my daughter's this white girl and i'm watching her live the life that you know she's the girl i hated in high school i'm raising my nemesis because she's there and she's you know and she's popular and she has her friends and she walks around with confidence and you know and she flicks her her full luscious curly hair and I was there with my long short dark you know my dark straight hair so I but I would give that to my daughter I would give her all of that I want her to carry forward all of the progress that we've made and I know that the me too movement only kind of broke social media in 2017 but trust me everyone listening we've been working on it for a while I can't not leave something to my boys right I can't not leave something to my sons I think that I would leave the flip side of that. I want both of my boys imbued with, I want them to be good men. And I'll be honest, I don't know how to do that. No, I don't know how to raise, I don't know the magic formula to raise sons to be good men. I, I've been writing a list here of the things that I'm going to pass on. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting, Rhea did the same thing that I've done, which is you go big, Dane. I think it's hard to go specific, almost because you, I don't know if you analyse yourself enough to, to really look at the specifics of who, of the very you know, minor details of who you are. Well, but, see, this is why but, I wanted to ask um, Howard and both Howard mm. and me, because uh, as extensionally, that's the question is that do we take a lot of time to analyse the better parts of ourselves? Because when you think about it, remember, that's what's going to be left, how people remember you. So, oh yeah, just, I've gone. I've gone for all my best parts here. <laughs> so I am definitely leaving behind for my uh, beloved wife Tara my organisational skills. She fucking needs them, if I'm honest with you, and uh, no. she knows that. I mean, the, honestly, the, Rhea, the opinions of Howard Cohen are not shared by all the parties on this podcast. <laughs> this isn't, this isn't Hi, about Tara. gender. This isn't about gender. I didn't this say anything about, about gender. This is about the specific <laughs> basis of my wife and, and me. Listen, that hummus. You got to put the hummus back in the fridge. This. I can't live like this, you know what I mean? Like, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Anyway, so she can have the organisational skills. And then I think I, for my son, uh, who's a four-month-old guy, uh, Rhea, called Dylan, um, and um, and he can definitely, you know, if something happened, uh, you know, soon, I wouldn't be able to pass two things onto him that I definitely would pass on to him, which is um, my sense of humour, which is the basis for my entire existence and nice. appreciating, appreciating other people's humour, and drive like and some people like to claim that's inherent in the Jews uh, as no we just in, we're just born genetically with it it's not true you pass it on uh, <laughs> you, you motivate your children to, to do more and uh, I, I think just I think to that's clarify not, just to clarify you mean yeah. that it's not inherited it's learned behavior because you said yes, it's not yes, it's not inherited, genetic it's, yeah. right okay <laughs> it's, 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 it's nurture more than nature Exactly, right. and, and so I would make sure. And then the, the last thing I would I would definitely give, and I would almost put this out like I would I would put this in ashes, Dane, and and spread it over as much of humanity as I can, which is is a general sense of caring mm-hmm. about other people 
and re trying to read other people I often think that's my one skill is I can definitely read people's body language pretty well. I like and that. I, and, and, it makes, and it makes me want to care about them. And I, I've had disagreements with some people in, in the past. And, you know, uh, I, if they're ever listening to this show, which would be weird, uh, I still think you're fuckers in some way. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I do care about you and actually would rather have found a way to create peace and, you know, understanding and, 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 and leave with a sense of love about, about what, whatever disagreement you have with anyone. So to me, I will always care about human beings and um, I would like to pass that on to as many people as I could. Nice. I like That'd that. be great. I like Empathy, that. Ash. I like Empathy, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There should be more of that. I wish we could. We, I wish scientists should learn how to freeze dry that and then maybe put it in aerosols and uh, <laughs> then put it into planes and those could be the new chemtrails. I'll give it to Bill Gates and he can microchip it into us. Yeah, that'd be great. Just vaccinate yeah, humanitarianism into people. I'll be honest with you, now, and, and this is a slightly tangential point I actually feel and I don't often talk about myself that personally on this show I actually feel it's a bit of a curse actually like I so for example you know like I, I won't ever go into any specific but if someone wrongs me um, I think they should I, I would rather be someone who just goes right fuck that person and fuck that person for good I'm done and, and, and I never have that I always have a feeling of wanting to empathise with whatever they've gone through that's led to them taking this and I actually think it's a bit of a curse personally I mean it's, it's I guess there's two sides to read everything Howard so there's a need maybe a need for validation and for harmony with other mm. with other species which is not necessarily a bad thing I don't think mm. it's a curse you've got to look at it as more a reflection of that person rather than yourself as long as you're yeah. not completely submissive to your uh, belligerence, then... I, I, yeah. I just always wish that I could just, you know, like... Can't we all just know, get along, is what Rodney King it, said. Yeah. Well, exactly, and just cut it out of my brain. I'd quite be quite but, happy to cut something out of my brain and maybe, move on. We, think, just remember, think, we want more of you, Howard, than we want of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and rather than cut out your brain, it means that you have a frame of reference on how to treat other human beings based on a previous trauma, which is the right way you're supposed to deal with it. You know, mm. which again, as Rhea said, is an esoteric truth rather than a... a yeah, something that needs to be taught by uh, uh, rabbinic texts, I should say. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, who are we going to get to replace us on this podcast if we both died? <laughs> Me? I'll do it. Uh, I think. Yeah, Rio would do it. Rio would be good. Rio would be great. Rio and Russell Hicks would be a good partnership. I'd like that. I'd definitely like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. That'd be a good so one. Many, I have so many questions. So, yeah. Exactly. That's, that's all we need. I, um, I'll, I'll do mine very quickly, guys, because mm. I have my will. So. I, I like based on that idea how I definitely would yeah take uh, all of my sense of uh, love and humanity mm. and uh, I would have that distributed globally um, organ donor so whoever's needing those can have the vital organs the heart however I want that to be a bit more of a a bit more scrutiny in that screening process because I want whoever gets my heart to be someone who definitely needs it uh, biologically but I want to find out what their mindset is because, uh, yeah, I want to be giving people the equivalent of, like, a jet engine to power themselves. Um, I would give all the material stuff, the money and stuff, goes to my sister, my nephew. Um, I'd probably give him the comedy and stuff as well. He seems to already be getting there anyway, so this would be a little boost, I suppose. But, you know, I would give. I would give my vitality to my mother. because She has a, a degenerative disease, and I would like for her to walk again. Even just to say goodbye. But if I could, yeah, if I could give my legs to somebody, I'd give them to my mum. So oh, that's really sweet. That's pretty much it. And then... Uh, I, I feel really selfish now for only giving to my immediate family. Yeah, but if, you're, if you've raised them how you want to, then I'm sure they'll distribute that equally. Because I was saying, my, mom, my mother, 
you know, she's not able to be that mobile, but when she was, she would basically uh, figuratively break her back for her family. So that's why if I give her my spine, I'm sure she'll make good use of it. And I think, just going back to what Rhea just said there, I don't think there's a wrong answer to this question. No, not at all. And we would love for our listeners uh, to tell us uh, yeah, what, but your last, they would, your last they would will and testament, uh, metaphysical will and testament, we'd love for guys mm. uh, and the guys and the girls and those of you in the non-binary community as well to uh, let us know what you think. Um, yeah. It's been an amazing episode. We have we have jumped between so many different things, Dane. I often wonder if we, we'll be able to always find new and interesting things to discuss on this show, but it amazes me every time. Absolutely. I think uh, as long as people have brains and frontal lobes, then we're always going to be able to question everything. So... Hmm. Yeah, there should always be a job. As long as well, Ria, Ria, you, you've been a wonderful addition to our uh, alumni. Oh, absolutely! Thanks so much for having me. No, it's been a pleasure, and uh, I hope that you've enjoyed your uh, debut on uh, the podcast. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, Ria has also joined uh, my label, so we are now label mates on UTC. So look out for more of her. Uh, but for Ria, for those people who have uh, been so sad to not know you before today. Uh, where can people find you? What are you up to? Where can people find out more about your work? Uh, if you just Google my name, Rialina, which is R-I-A-L-I-N-A, you're going to find me on your social media of your choice, except for TikTok. I'm a bit too old for TikTok. I can't figure that out. But I'm on the other ones. Even yeah, though I, no one knows how old Rialina really is. But we know <laughs> too old for TikTok is the basis. So we're working with that. Yeah, so far. I'm too old. For, I am too old for TikTok. If you're on TikTok and you're a massive TikTok fan, you're grateful that I'm not on it. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, clogging it up. Um, I need more than 15 seconds is what I'm saying. Uh, but yeah, you can find me on there. And I also have a podcast called uh, Rialina's Behind, which you can find again on all the podcast things where I look at the news and then I talk to someone and go, explain to me the history of this news story because I wasn't around when Belarus first got its dictator. So I don't understand what's going on now, for example, or or the basic but, science of COVID so that you be, can help understand what you're doing. You Belarusian, Belarusian is the least spoken uh, language in the whole world. Really? I think in, or maybe Europe, but yeah. Do you know what means white Russian? Because it's the one area that wasn't taken over by, uh, uh, this sounds so wrong in today's parlance, but it's true by the Mongs when they were when they were spreading through Russia. They didn't take over, so it's known as white Russia. Wow. Russian. Nice fact. You'll get more of that on her podcast, I imagine, uh, uh, if, if you've done a Belarusian episode. It's coming up. It's coming up. Yeah, very good. Cool, well, cool. It's, been a, it's been a joy, Ria. Thank you. Thank, thank no, you. thank you for having me. No, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, I think you have definitely reminded everybody that as long as there is science and religion, people will continue to question everything. So, thank you very much for the jump start, Ria, uh, and also welcome to the team. And I'm sure we'll be working together. Uh, so yeah, I'll see you at the Christmas party via Zoom. <laughs> Zoom Christmas party. <laughs> You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Ria Lena. You can follow Ria on social media at Ria underscore. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Decode. You can follow D on Twitter and Instagram at Official Decode. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. 
Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.